Psalm 46, which is titled, God is Our Fortress. God is our fortress and strength, a very present and help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth may give away, though the mountains may be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river that... that There is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She is not to be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolation on the earth. He made the war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The Lord of Jacob is our fortress. Luther wrote in his hymn, first stanza, Mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. Let us go to to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we reflect upon this particular truth of Scripture that you are our mighty fortress, our refuge, and then as we reflect upon the other three biblical truths reflected in Luther's hymn, we ask, O God, that you might impress upon our hearts who you are, what you've done for us, that we might flee to you and trust you and rest in you and depend on you for everything, for life itself. Father, show us our need for a modern-day reformation, really a reformation every day where we seek you to reform us more and more to your word, that we might live as your faithful covenant children who live for your glory. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, wasn't Psalm 46 wonderful? What powerful truths we have in that psalm. And I just imagine David as he was living his life, much of which was on the run. <laughs> he had a lot of enemies. There in the Judean wilderness, writing this psalm, just, just contemplating his need for refuge, his need for a fortress, his need for protection. And so we have this beautiful psalm, this promise that God is our refuge, that he is our shelter that he is our hiding place, that he is our bulwark, as Luther mentions in his hymn. And what is a bulwark? It's a defensive structure. It is some structure 
that an army or people can hide behind to be protected. It is a wall or a rampart to repel the enemy as well as to protect. And God as our bulwark, God as our refuge, God as our shelter means that he will never fail in protecting his people, especially in the spiritual battle. And is the spiritual battle real? Well, listen to these words from the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. One of our young men that uh, served in the Air Force and went to another assignment was considering being a drone pilot. Sits in a nice room with his little joystick and his computer model and he basically flies drones somewhere in, in the world. And we had some inter interesting conversations about the ethics and morality of that type of warfare. But that type of warfare can be rather distant, right? You're here in the United States of America and you're, you're flying a drone somewhere in the world, maybe even dropping a bomb. But let me tell you something, the spiritual battle is not like that. The spiritual battle is not like we are away from the fray and we're in our little air-conditioned room with our computer model virtually living the Christian life. The spiritual battle, as Paul says, is like a wrestling match. It's very personal. It's very dangerous. Satan is a worthy adversary. Luther says, on earth is not his equal. But what we find is that God is faithful. Listen to this passage of the Apostle Paul. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. In this very personal, spiritual battle that each one of us are in, even today, our bulwark will never fail. Our bulwark protects and repels. God is our mighty fortress. Therefore, let us engage this battle boldly and confidently. Surely not boldly and confidently trusting in ourselves, but boldly and confidently trusting in this mighty fortress. This, this God who is our bulwark, who protects and repels the enemy. Jesus is our king, he is our mighty fortress, and his kingdom will never fail. If you take your hymnal and turn to hymn number 310, Rejoice the Lord is King, as we reflect upon Jesus' kingship, and in particular the fact that his kingdom will never fail. Please stand with me.
This is Isaiah 31, verses 1 through 6. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong. But do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. And yet he is wise and brings disaster. He does not call back his words, but he will arise against the house of the evildoers and against the helpers of those who work iniquity. The Egyptians are man and not God. And their horses are flesh and not spirit. When the Lord stretches out his hand, the helper will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and they will all perish together. For thus the Lord said to me, As a lion or a young lion growls over his prey, and when a band of shepherds is called out against him, is not terrified by their shouting or daunted by, at their noise, so the Lord of hosts will come down to fight on Mount Zion and on its hill, Like birds hovering, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect it and deliver it. He will spare it and rescue it. Turn to him from whom people have deeply revolted, O children of Israel. For in that day everyone shall cast away his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which your hands have sinfully made for you. Another stanza of Luther's great hymn, Did we in our our own strength confide our striving would be losing? We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he, Lord Sabaoth his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Well, you may have a question here. What does it mean, Lord Sabaoth? And the term references what Carl read from Isaiah chapter 31 about the Lord of hosts. Think of Jesus as the Lord of hosts, the one who comes down in battle upon his enemies and vanquishes them. And if the battle is to be fought in our own strength, Luther said, our striving would be losing. Is that true? Any amens there? (laughs) Satan is a worthy adversary, isn't he? He is a force to be reckoned with if we are doing battle in our own strength. But that's not what the scriptures teach, that Jesus is the Lord Sabaoth. Jesus is the Lord of hosts. Jesus is the champion who comes and fights for us. And so what is our role in this battle? It's to be strong in the Lord. Ephesians 6.10, finally, be strong in, in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Know what Paul says, do not be strong in yourself, do not be strong in your strength, but be strong in the Lord and in his might. 1 John 4, 4, the one who fights for us is all-powerful. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, do you need to be reminded of that today? He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Think of all of the things that are going on in the world today. Think of all of the evil that is being perpetrated upon people today, even the synagogue shooting over the weekend. 
There's a lot of evil. There's a lot of wickedness. There's a lot of reason to fear. But yet the one who is in us, the one in whom we have been united in saving faith, is greater than the greatest evil this world can bring about. He is greater. He is Jesus, the Lord Sabaoth. He has already won the battle. He has already conquered the foe. And we live and fight in this battle in his strength by his might, the Lord of hosts. And I think one of the wonderful modern hymns that we have that so beautifully recounts the teaching of Scripture about who Jesus is and what he has done as the Savior and as the King and as the Prophet. And that same power that Jesus displayed to save sinners is that same power that he displays to conquer all his and our enemies. And if I am up front with you, and I want to be up front with you, think of the power that it took to change a wicked heart like mine. Think of the power that it takes to change wicked hearts like you. That power to say, perhaps, is that power to change a sinner's nature, to me, is as great, if not greater, at least my thinking, than the power God exhibited in creation. Now, I don't want to get into a competition between how, how powerful is God. Is he, is he creator more powerful than his Savior? It's all the same. But what I want to communicate to us, it took real power to change our hearts. And that same power protects us and is our strength in battle And let us flee to the Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. So if you would stand and turn to page four of your bulletin. As we sing. Man, you may be seated. The Prince of Darkness, Grim. next reading is from Revelation 20, verses 4 through 10. This is uh, just inside the back cover of your pew Bible, page 1040. Then I saw thrones, and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image, and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. 
Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the corners, the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their number is like the sand of the sea, and they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Well, we do have an adversary in the spiritual battle. And though this world with devil's field should threaten to undo us, writes Luther, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us, the prince of darkness grim. We tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fail him. Well, Satan is real. The dark forces of evil are about Satan, that fallen and rebellious angel who is limited. He's a creature. He's under God's sovereignty. But yet he is the adversary who is determined to destroy God and his kingdom. And that means Satan's determined to destroy Jesus and his church, to destroy even our faith. This kingdom of evil is ruled by Satan, and he is waging war against the church. And Paul describes Satan's tactics in Ephesians 6 and verses 11 through 13. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. This tactic, this, one of Satan's tactics is to personally attack us. And this is one reason I think Paul uses that sporting analogy of a wrestling match. Hand-to-hand combat, something that's very intimate. Personal contact with the opponent. That's the spiritual battle. It's a dangerous struggle. Satan is a schemer. He is a deceiver. He is an accuser of God's people. And you know how susceptible we are to the tactics of Satan. But yet our hope and our confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love the way Luther writes this. Not only is the prince of darkness Grimm's doom sure, but one little word will fail him. That's just how powerful Jesus is. We see the promise of Jesus' victory over Satan 
as far back as Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, where the seed of the woman will strike a fatal blow upon the serpent. And we see Genesis 3.15 and what is taught there also reflected in Revelation 20 that Josh read earlier. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire, sulfur, where the beasts and the false prophets were, and they will be tormented day and night forever. Satan's doom is sure. Do you believe that? We must admit, though, I'll just say me. I'll use myself. I must admit, because you may not admit this, but I do. I must admit that oftentimes I'm not so sure that uh, Satan's doom is sure. It seems as though his work is pervasive in our culture. And if all I had to base my worldview on was what I see in world history, then I might doubt this promise. But thanks be to God that I have more on which to base my worldview. And it's not what I see, it's what God's word has said. And God's word clearly states that Satan will be destroyed. And another thought that Satan is there to seek to tempt me to destroy my faith. And, I, and that is true. But there are times when Satan doesn't have to work all that hard on me because of my propensity to revert back to that old nature way of living. And so having said all of this, what I want to communicate to us is our constant need to A, go to God's word and rest in what he has said. And then secondly, flee to Jesus for forgiveness and for protection. We can easily fall for the schemes of Satan. And we can easily live according to the evil that is in our own hearts. And the reality is we are buffeted day in and day out by Satan. But Christ, in the words of the hymn, it is well with my soul, but Christ has regarded my helpless estate and shed his own blood for my soul. And if Jesus has valued you and me that much, he is going to protect us from the schemes of Satan, even when we lose hope. This hymn, It Is Well With My Soul, is probably a favorite hymn of so many of us here today. But I must tell you, it's a little hard for me to sing. It is well with my soul. I mean, think of the the types of categories where we are to say, it is well with my soul. Think of the struggles that we endure. Think of the losses that we endure. Think of the heartache. And yet we're to say, it is well with my soul. The truth of Scripture is God is sovereign. And he is the victor 
And we can say, in light of all of these difficulties, even the spiritual battle when it rages the fiercest, that it is well with my soul because Jesus is my Savior and King. So let us stand and sing hymn number 691, It is well with my soul. You may be seated. That word abideth still. Psalm 119, verses 97 through 106. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. The stanza, the last stanza of Luther's hymn, that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth the spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is Forever, At the end of the day, in the midst of all of the struggles that we encounter, in the midst of even struggling to say it as well with my soul, we have the word of God on which to stand. It is God's eternal truth. That's where we must always rest. That's where Luther rested as he stood before the Diet of Worms, as his physical life was on the line. He stood on the truth of God's word. God's word does abide. It teaches. And one thing that God's word teaches among many things is that God has made provisions for us in the battle. He has given us, he has detailed for us, He has promised us in his word spiritual armament that we might stand firm. God's armor is dispensed and we must put it on. In other words, we must use it by faith. Ephesians 6, 14 through 18, stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith uh, 
with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. We're to put on the belt of truth. Satan is a liar. But yet God has revealed to us his word, his truth. He has given us orthodoxy that we might know him, know the way of salvation. He has given us the breastplate of righteousness and we must put it on by faith. Satan is the accuser of God's elect. But that breastplate of righteousness is our standing before God because it represents being covered with the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ and our justification that is received by faith. And we're told to put on gospel shoes. Satan promotes fear and death, but we are to go forth as witnesses of the beautiful message of Jesus Christ, his gospel of peace, his gospel of light, his gospel of life. And we're to take hold of the shield of faith. Satan is the source of unbelief and doubt. And it can even grip a Christian. All the more reason for us to take up that shield of faith. That strong shield that that quenches Satan's darts that would cause us to fear and doubt. That shield that is the reality of living united to Christ in faith because of his work on the cross. Satan hates the cross. It is his undoing, but it is our strong shield. And the helmet of salvation that protects us, though Satan seeks to destroy us. And we know from Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 that apparently Satan doesn't have a helmet because there we learn that Jesus takes a fatal blow against Satan and crushes his head. But yet Satan cannot inflict a fatal blow upon the people of God. The helmet of salvation protects us. And then the sword of the spirit, the offensive weapon, the word of God that we've been talking about. How did Jesus respond to Satan's temptation in the wilderness? Thus says the Lord... And that's how we are to respond. The word of God is absolute truth. It is both powerful and it is sufficient. Listen to these passages concerning the word of God. Romans 1, 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And then 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, 
but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. God's word is powerful. God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is powerful. It is sufficient. And as we stand on the word of God, as we rest in it, all those arguments against God will be put down. And then lastly, prayer. Prayer is not technically part of the armament, but it is something under which we really should use the armament. Prayer is that all-encompassing blessing that God has given us in the spiritual battle, that we are to pray for ourselves and we are to pray for our fellow saints who are in the battle. I am becoming more convinced that the church is in a spiritual battle. I'm becoming more convinced that families that love the Lord are in a spiritual battle. I am becoming more convinced that the individual, like you and like me, that love the Lord Jesus, as imperfect as we are, are in a spiritual battle. Yes, we struggle with our own hearts, but Satan is also seeking to work us woe. And we need to pray, first and foremost, for ourselves, for our families, for one another, and for the church of Jesus Christ. S.D. Gordon said, prayer is striking the winning blow. Service is merely gathering up the results. As we've reflected upon Luther's Reformation hymn, the truths that are represented in Luther's words are as true today and are as needed today as they were the day Luther penned this hymn. Why? Because you and I are heirs of the Reformation. And as Reformation took place at that particular time period, according to God's calendar, it continues to take place even today, that we should be believers who realize we're heirs of a great movement of God in the 16th century that continues today. And like our forefathers, we should have this motto, I am reformed and I desperately need to be always reforming to the word of God. May God be pleased to do that. And now if you would take your hymnal and turn to hymn number 92, we'll stand and sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Now receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.